Welcome to the Logically Faithful Podcast, Season 2. I am your host, Keldoon Swice. I am Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University. I have been studying the Christian faith, philosophy of religion, and apologetics for over two decades and have authored three books. I am the father of two amazing children and the husband of one incredibly beautiful wife. I am here to help you find evidence for your faith in Christ so that you can deal with suffering in life like I did for greater fulfillment that is life-changing. I am excited that you're with me on this journey. Let's go ahead and get started. Well, welcome back to Season 2 of Logically Faithful. This will be one of the most difficult podcasts I'll ever do. It has something to do with a suffering on a deep, personal, existential level that I'll get into with you. And I hope that through this, you will be able to find hope and healing for yourself in the struggles that you're going through. The main point in this podcast is the following. In the darkness of suffering, trust that God never left you and will bring you greater light because of it and will transform you through it. In 2003, we found out we were pregnant, and then something happened that would transform and reform our lives forever. Stay with me in this podcast, and I will explain. We had been married three years at that point. You see, uh, about six months earlier, we went in for an ultrasound to get the sex of the child. Uh, and we had prepared the house. We had prepared everything to be set up properly for the baby. And my wife was very excited. We were excited. We set up the room, get in the crib. Uh, we were very, very much moving forward on this new trajectory of our lives to start a new family, which is normal among families around the planet and throughout history. And it was an exciting time. It was a mesmerizing time, a magical time. As we shared with our family and friends, the, the joy that we were pregnant. So we went to do the ultrasound. And when we were there, the nurse uh, did this normal procedure. And then her face, her face became dark. And my wife said to me, something is wrong. And then a few minutes later, the doctor came in. And he said, he looked over the paperwork and he looked over the, the sonogram and then he said these words I will never forget. Your child, I'm sorry to say, the fetus, I think that's the term he used, is incompatible with life. He talked about hydrops fetalis and other genetic abnormalities that the baby had. It, those words hit me like a razor slicing deep into the core of my soul. We just stood in stark silence. My first inclination was to say, ah, how could you, ah, this is, what do you mean? He said, I recommend an abortion at this stage. And then he said something else which I didn't catch. But my first inclination was to tell him, I will not murder my child. I'll get into the details of that, what that is philosophically, ethically, metaphysically, but for now, it was one of the most darkest times and hours and minutes of my life. 
He talked to us a little bit more and he left the room. We talked together and based on our prior belief that the human being does not begin at birth but begins when the chromosomes form at conception in the child and that actually is not just a human thing it's also a mammalian thing most human most life begins at conception as well i could talk about that philosophically logically ethically apologetically later on but for now we would we couldn't go through it it was um we left the hospital room we went and got an opinion a second opinion a third opinion we talked to genetic specialists. We talked to the best fetal and specialists in, in embryology. And most of the answers we got were the same. Some recommended we do some extra steroid work. And poor Luciana, she went through a lot of that uh, to help increase the capacity of a child's lungs to breathe. Because more than likely, he will be born without the ability to take in breath. We found out later that in 2003, the President's Council on Bioethics actually uh, fought against this term called incompatible with life, because what it seems to do is instead of giving the parents um, an attitude that their child is a child, but rather is a thing to be discarded, a thing to be moved forward because it doesn't measure up to our particular standards of life. Are we judging the fitness of the human being based on what they can do or based on what they are? And this philosophically is the difference between functionalist view of life as opposed to an ontological or natural kind view of life. It was something that was tearing at my soul. Because life is sacred and special. Matter of fact, every life counts as a global organization. They actually put forward a petition in the United Nations in Geneva a number of years ago that tried to fight against the term incompatible with life. You see, I know you may have been one of those people who did go through an abortion. If that's you, the grace of God is deeper than any sin or any thing that we can possibly do. We could talk about that some other time. But for now, it was a dark period for us. We could not go through with that. Remember, in the darkness of suffering, trust that God never left you and will bring you greater light because of it and will transform you through it. Months later, we were in the hospital room. It was a white room, blue sheets. Luciana and I were there as she was going into labor. She went through the labor process. Enoch was born. Enoch was born. We named him Enoch because Enoch means something. The name Enoch comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, where the text talks about Enoch being a man who walked with God and he was no more, for God had taken him. Enoch was actually the father of Methuselah, which is the oldest man who had ever lived. And uh, because God took him, we named him Enoch because God had taken our son. When Enoch was born, he didn't make a sound. They took him out quickly. They watched. Um, they, they put a ventilator on his face to help pump some oxygen in him um, to try to put in some air. But none of the things, nothing prevailed. They cleaned him. They took the tube out of him, and they gave him to me. 
I will never forget, even if I live as long as God, what happened. I held him in my hands and I saw his eyes. I felt his grip on my fingers. He was small. He was teeny. And he looked like me. He looked like me. He even had my nose. I held him. And then he slowly let go of my arm, my finger. And he was gone. He died in my arms. He died. He was gone. And that was it. I was just emotionally cold and struck, almost like paralysis of the soul. The nurse took him from me. We, I prayed over him, but before she took him from me, I looked at him and I said, Enoch, I said to him, listen to me clearly, I will see you again, my son. One day I will see you again. And they took him from me. <sighs> Hear me clearly. I actually did my doctoral work a few year, uh, last year before that on the concept of the soul and the evidence for the soul. If I did not believe in the evidence of the soul, in the evidence that tells me there is more to life than the physical, then my words to my son are nothing more than empty poetry. Unless I will actually see him again, then they don't mean much in the long term. I actually believe I will see him again and I will walk on streets of gold with him. But that is for another episode. That's for another time where I'll talk about the actual evidence for the soul and evidence for faith that has grounded me and gotten me through the darkest period of my life. And you know that Friedrich Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche said this well. He said that what does not kill a man will make him stronger. But what I found in my experience, what many have found, is that many times what doesn't kill someone will make them cruel, will make them worse. You can take, and I can take this difficult period of my life to become introspective, to become dark, to become angry at God and everyone around me, and begin to lash out, because that's what ends up happening, because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people end up hurting other people. I mean, the other day I was driving and this man cut me off. Uh, and he kept cutting me off. Apparently I had made a wrong turn and he just kept stopping the car, slamming the brake in front of me, getting very agitated and upset. And I was starting to get upset. I just let him go. I just slowed down until he left. What is it that led him to that point where he became so viciously angry in the car? Uh, it couldn't have just been an instant. No, um, somebody snaps over something small. It's usually something that has been built up throughout the day or throughout the week. Did he lose his job? Did he lose his wife? Was he beaten as a child? There's so many different factors that make up who we are. And these factors, um, we can either take the pain that has been inside us, we can let, it, let God use it to transform us, otherwise we will transmit it. If you don't transform the pain inside you, it will be transmitted to other people. That's just a part of nature, part of reality. And I had to take the pain that I went through with my child, with my family, with my wife, and transform that. And it took a while. See, I went home that night with my wife, and it was, 
It was a dark night because we had the crib and it was empty. And we, um, we began to clean up. It wasn't until a few days later I was in the kitchen pouring some coffee that I collapsed in a fetal position and began to cry like a baby. It didn't hit me till then that he was gone, really gone, that I will not be able to hold my little boy. We had a funeral for Enoch. Our pastor Lutzer came out with another pastor friend, Pastor Mason, and uh, we buried him. We, they gave the eulogy. Um, we said goodbye. Matter of fact, I visited his grave just a few days ago to say goodbye to him and to tell him that I'm, I'm working on being the best father I could be, the best man I could be, and hopefully one day, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to meet him soon. Um, not, 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 not this soon, <laughs> but soon in the long term of eternity. Uh, because I really believe that the faith I have in Christ through him is a real faith, not just something that I can just manufacture to get me through the darkness. You see, uh, it's something that's so key here, guys. Character cannot be developed. True character cannot be developed in, an, in, a, in a life of ease, in a life of comfort, in a life of luxury. Only through the experience of trials and suffering can the true soul grow and become like gold shining in the darkness. I do not know anyone who is a deep person of wisdom and depth who has not gone through deep suffering. The vast majority of people who have not are some of the most superficial people in the, his, in the world. I recommend some good books to you in this process to help you through it, and these things really helped me. In his book, Walking Through Suffering, uh, Tim Keller says the following, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. Contra-secularism, suffering is meaningless, meaningful. There is purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God or into more stability and spiritual power than we can possibly imagine. Also, also in his book, uh, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis writes, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He also writes the following. I am progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contented, fallen, and godless condition, absorbed in the merry meeting with my friends for the morrow or a bit of work that tickles my vanity for today, a holiday or a new book, then suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious illness, a headline in the newspaper that threatens us all with destruction, sends the whole pack of my cards tumbling down. At this first, I am overwhelmed. All my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should have been at all times. I am reminded that all these toys never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is in another world, and my only true treasure is in Christ. And perhaps, by God's grace, I succeed, but for only a day or two. I become a creature consciously dependent upon God and drawing its strength right from the right sources. But at the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. I am even anxious, God forgive me, to banish from my mind the only thing that supported me under the threat because it is now associated with the misery of these few days. And then Lewis says this, 
Thus, the terrible necessity of tribulation is only too clear. God has had me for about 48 hours, and then only by the dint of taking everything else away from me. God let him, let him but seeth his sword for a moment, and I behave like a puppy when the heated bath is over. I shake myself dry as I can and race off to acquire my new comfortable dirtiness, if not in the nearest manure heap, at least in the nearest flower bed. And that is why tribulation cannot cease until God either sees us remade or sees that our remaking is now hopeless. This is in C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, which was remarkable to helping me see that it's going through the troubles of life that we are transformed and remade into something new and something better. This suffering drew me and I grew in my faith more than I ever grew before. It was a time of darkness and depth and it was through the crucible of suffering that my character was formed. Hear me clearly, no matter what you experience in life, no matter the pain you go through, Keep this in mind and never forget that in the darkness of suffering, trust that God will not leave you and he will transform you through it. It wasn't until about two or three years later when something magical happened. There were little voices running around in our home. You see, um, a number of years before that, Luciana and I had gone to the, uh, the Republic of Moldova to do some missionary work. She was a dentist, and she did pro bono dentist, dental work, and I wanted to get some teaching, and as well as carry some things and help out as much as I could possibly could. And we got to know the orphanages there, and there were so many children in these orphanages. And the striking thing about many of these children in these orphanages is, especially at the younger ages, is the silence. The kids don't cry because nobody comes when they cry. Through Luciana's prodding and um, her persistence and her sweetness, we started the paperwork to start adopting. And we adopted from the country of Moldova two precious, wonderful angels of God, Anna Katarina Cosette and Daniel Zacharias. They have arisen from the dark ashes of the struggle and the pain of Enoch's death to a life of immense joy and peace and tranquility like I've never imagined before. I hear the little voices running around my home. They are two precious children that we adopted from that country. And if we did not go through what we went through with Enoch, they would not be in our home. I am confident of that. God used that struggle and our pain to help us reach out to the defenseless and the hopeless in the other, in the other parts of the world, these little, little children there. And they have brought an incredible amount of meaning and purpose to our own lives as we have struggled to be good parents to them. So it was through that darkness that God drew us through it. Now, now the, all stories don't end like this, of course, but that was how ours began to move forward. And we're still journeying, journeying through it. We're still journeying through it. Through all this, let me say this, the vast majority of human life is a struggle. Even the Buddhists uh, say all of life is suffering, is what they call it. The problem is they say that to avoid the suffering, you have to go through something called attachment, uh, uh, disattachment with everything. So you will not be wounded on a deep level, never get too attached to anything. Close your heart off and then you will never have it truly broken. Truths of Buddhism. But 
On a deeper level, listen to these words from one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis. He said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. In that casket, safe dark, motionless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to become vulnerable. You cannot love unless you open your heart. And when you open your heart, you open it to wounds, but you also open it to immense meaning, purpose, and joy. And this is one of the hearts of Christianity because God opens his heart to us by giving us his son who went through excruciating pain and suffering. Matter of fact, Jesus was called the man who was familiar with suffering. He fell on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, I am overwhelmed with grief. And Luke tells us his <laughs> tears were like great drops of blood. If anybody's gone through suffering and pain, he has, and he understands it. And because he has, I can come to him in my grief and my pain and say, you understand this, Lord. Why did you allow this to happen? Let me start wrapping this up. Uh, there are some tips, some, some principles that helped me through the darkness that I hope will help you. There are a number of these, and I'll give them to you as, as succinctly as I can. The first is trust God through it. Don't doubt in the dark what you know in the light. His pierced hands who are allowing you to go through this are pierced with love. He's the only God who, who, strove, who did not stride to his throne. He crawled to it. He's the God who was broken. And we can trust him because he has been through immense suffering himself. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Take heart. In this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. Let's trust him that he can help us overcome any pain and trial that we can go through. Because Paul tells us in... Paul is one of the greatest authors in the New Testament who actually wrote it in, in suffering. He wrote this in, the, in prison. Because he said, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. We can trust him. Trust God through it. Don't give in to despair. Because there is hope in the darkness. Number two, grieve. Go ahead and cry. You know the shortest verse in the Bible is? It's Jesus wept. This is in context of when he went to his friend's tomb, Lazarus, and he wept. Even the God of the universe, the being of omnipotence, cried. It is not a sign of weakness for you to cry. It is not. Many people, people think it is, but the fact of the matter is you are strong enough to allow your feelings to come out and be confident of that. Because it is okay to let go. It's, it's cathargic. It's, it's something that brings a sense of pain, of healing, to be able to cry. And, and um, if you were to read the book of Genesis, Jacob, when he was told his son Joseph was killed, he actually wasn't, but he thought he was killed. He refused to be comforted by his children. He tore his clothes. And the text in the Bible is real about that because it tells us that uh, when the children in Bethlehem were killed, the, uh, the, the author quotes, quotes Jeremiah where it says this, 
a voice was heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Some people refuse to be comforted because they need to grieve. Allow yourself time to cry. I wept in that kitchen like a child in a fetal position. I needed that because I held it so long. Third thing is seek expert advice from trained professionals if you are going through intense uh, flashbacks, dreams, nightmares, troubling experiences that are chronic and leading you to a state of depression where you're not able to do the normal functions of life. You are not meant to go through this life alone. Remember, God made man and he specifically told Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. This is one of the greatest struggles of people with depression. They lock themselves up and they're alone. Matter of fact, this is what solitary confinement is. It's a punishment. And many of us put ourselves through that punishment. Get out. Break out of the shell. Go seek others. Help. uh, Ask for advice if you need it. That's the third thing. Because your life matters. Because you matter to God. Nothing happens to you even at the cosmic scale or at the micro scale. That is trivial and meaningless. God loves you and he has a plan. And this plan may include going through a deep darkness that will change and transform you to shine like the star in the darkness. Despair and suffering are not the end of the world. Most people either go through it die before it happens or get transformed by it you can choose to be transformed by this or choose to take it and let it destroy you and decay your soul remember in the darkness of suffering trust that God never left you and will bring you greater light because of it and will transform you through it number five seek out others who you can help Um, The philosophers of the history of the world argue that philosophy, one of the main purposes of philosophy is to help prepare us to help go through suffering in a way that transforms us. That's actually one of the purposes of philosophy, uh, seeking wisdom. And wisdom is knowing what to do with the difficult things of life in the right way, in an honorable way, a way that transforms you. Uh, And one of the great um, agreements that all the philosophers have, that majority of them have, with some, ex- some exceptions, is to find deep meaning. Is finding meaning in other, in, in something other than yourself. By helping other people, you help yourself. By pouring into other people, you pour into yourself. By giving away, you get. So when you find yourself in pain, find somebody else who's in worse pain. Seek out him. Help him. The boy with dirty shoes complained until he saw the boy with no feet. There are people around you with no feet. There are people around you who are suffering, who are, who are in need of help. You know who they are. Jot down a couple names. Reach out to them. Help them. And in helping them, you will help yourself. And finally, examine the evidence for your faith. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I, I, I strongly recommend you look into that because all the stuff in the Bible, the cross, the virgin birth, Jesus walking on water, making the three loaves, rising from the dead, giving sight to the blind, offering eternal life. Guys, guess what? It's true. It really happened. God is ontologically real. Jesus Christ did walk the earth and did rise from the dead. How do I know that? Stay with me in this podcast. We'll go through that together and I'll show you the incredible evidence that we have through that and we can journey together to find healing for ourselves as we help others. So, uh, here are the five points. One, trust God will get, will get you through it. Trust Him 
through it. That's all what faith is. Faith means trust. To grieve. Give yourself time to cry, to go over this. You are not just a cognitive machine. You need time to cry. Three, seek expert advice from trained professionals if you need it. And you know when you can't deal with it on your own and nobody's helping you, you may need that. Number four, seek out others who you can help, who you can inspire, who you can be with through their difficulty. And finally, examine apologetics and examine the evidence for your faith. It will transform your life as it transformed mine. Close with these words from the Brothers Karamazov, one of the greatest novels in history, by Dostoevsky, by the words of the atheist Ivan, who challenged his brother about evil. And it ends like this. Listen to these words. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, and that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale, at the end of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood they've shed, that it will not only that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. So I close with this. In the darkness of suffering, trust that God never left you, will bring you greater light because of it, and will transform you through it.